I'm delighted to welcome today to the podcast Christopher Sigmund, who is a philosophical advisor. Never interviewed a philosophical advisor, and I'm almost feeling out of my depth here, Christopher. Very, very clever man. So uh, welcome, and I'm going to hand over immediately to you to explain what is a philosophical advisor. Thank you so much, Elaine. It's lovely to be here, and thank you for that kind introduction. Um, so a philosophical advisor, I'm, I'm working as a philosopher in the traditional sense, like in the ancient Greece, when philosophers were covering all kinds of subjects. Today, philosophy tends to narrow in on certain subjects. And, and uh, I, I do have a degree in philosophy and I've studied these things, but I also have a, a very broad background. So I have an engineering degree, a law degree, I've studied music, I've studied languages. And so I'm bringing this holistic approach to life and to business. Uh, and that's why I'm calling it a philosophical advisor. So you could think of, uh, for example, uh, Alexander the Great, he had a personal philosopher, which was Aristotle, and they would probably cover all kinds of topics. So it's a very broad way of saying that we can talk about almost anything, and then we go deep and see what the exploration leads to. Amazing. And you just said law, engineering, and philosophical so do you have three three degrees four actually yeah and wow. one in technology as well and okay. then i studied music for three years so i've, I've been, been studying a lot yes okay are you currently studying or is that it now i can't imagine there's any more that you can into <laughs> your brain goodness me <laughs> well at the moment i'm not studying at the academy or like the university i might very well take some more courses or or but at the moment i'm, I'm studying uh, on my own mm. Excellent. So from what you were saying about um, Aristotle and Alexander the Great, it's almost, almost like a critical friend, I guess, so that, you know, mm. shoot, shoot the breeze, talk about different topics, go deep, go wide, mm. whatever. So is, is that kind of a, a very crude um, summary of a, what a, a philosophical friend is? Yeah, I like that term, philosophical friend. Mm, I, I, I tend to think of it as a, someone with whom you can talk about anything and who is honest with you. And then the friend part is really important because after all, a friend is someone you would expect to be there for you and who's also honest with you, even if they think that you're wrong and they dare to disagree. Uh, so rather than to have a psychophant who only just says yes, yes, yes to everything, it's someone who would challenge you to inspire you to think new ways. Um, and where you can really discover things you didn't know beforehand, and that's what I find with my clients when I'm when I'm having when I'm having meetings as a personal philosopher. That typically the the, the conversations that we have start in one place. Maybe the client has a problem or something they want to discuss, and then after an hour or so, we discover that well, actually, what we want to talk about is something completely different, and then we start diving into that. And mm -hmm. I see this time and time again, because somehow the mind has this, I mean, it has many, many levels and the surface level, we are only aware of certain things. But once we give it time and relax into it, then we can really start to find and address the things that really matter. Mm. We, we, we're all human, aren't we? And we have this natural reaction, the emotional, um, the emotional reaction to anything works quicker than our, our mind does. So in the snap second, sometimes people 
say things, do things which on the surface are irrational, but it's because it's the emotional stuff that comes out first before you think, oh, mm, shouldn't have said that, or maybe that didn't come out quite right, whatever. So what what type of um, problems do, do people come to you with? Because it's, it's, it's an, I've never heard of a, um, a philosopher in the way that how you kind of deal with with life and, and with um, with clients. So what, what kind of people come to you? What kind of problems um, do you help them to solve? Mm, that's a great question. So I would I would categorize it in two different categories. So either it's personal uh, issues uh, or it could be organizational issues. So if we start with the personal ones, it could be existential questions. Maybe someone is having a life crisis. Maybe someone who has reached success and and has basically made their goals, made the money, become famous, and then it's like, well, what is life really about? Maybe all, all the money in the world isn't going to tell me what happiness really is and who I am. So it could be that could be a starting point. There is an existential crisis. Crisis. Uh, it could also be that someone who's already on the inner journey and who has done a lot of leadership trainings and and coach has had a coach and and has already worked a lot with themselves but they now feel ready to embark on a deeper journey to really like get into things um and when it sort of shifts from from the doing to the being so because so much in the world is focused around doing things and the way that you know, education system is structured and the reward system in society. It's a lot about if you do good, then you will get the boon, which is typically money or recognition. Uh, whereas what I'm what I'm emphasizing is the being part, being present and to, to really, because, because that's where life really happens here and now. It's not something that will happen later as we, as we sort of um, led to believe at times. Um, and then the other the other category would be with organizations. And so there are a few different entry points. So, for example, I worked with a university here in Lund in Sweden, a great university. And then the entry point was around leadership. And so we started working with leadership and and relations. And but it can also be around communication or collaboration, cooperation. Um, and it can also be around structures. Um, so, so there are different entry points. And what I typically do when I meet the client, regardless of the category, is that I listen a lot. So I, I, I call myself the listening philosopher. So I'm not, I'm not really giving the answers. I'm more listening because I believe that every one of us have so much wisdom and knowledge, which we might not be able to access. So, so it's like uh, Socrates, Plato's teacher, he was seeing himself as a wisdom midwife. So someone who will help people to realize what they already know. Uh, so I'm, I'm mirroring people to, to understand what, what they really are after. So it's a lot about listening and, and then things uh, show themselves as we go along. Mm, interesting. I like that term, wisdom midwife. So that was Plato. Yeah, it was Socrates, who was Plato's teacher. Who, Socrates, yeah. right, Plato's teacher, got that the wrong way around. Okay, mm, mm. amazing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, he, the Socratic method, it's even called Socratic method. It's all about asking questions. Uh, it's all about, you know, real, not, not, I mean, in some of the dialogues, it's, the questions are, 
are a bit long to be to be honest but but in essence the idea is that that uh, that's by asking the right questions then the person will have will access what they already know how do you know what the right questions are because um it is absolutely vital I've, i often have this conversation with people that if whatever the question is you'll get x is the answer but if the question is inappropriate then you're never going to get to the point of finding what the crux of the matter is so mm. how, how how does that work i mean is there a, is there a method you mentioned the socratic method um, is there a you know a, a process where people can, can perhaps get to their own questions because as you're alluding to the answers are inside us we've all got the answers but we need a philosophical friend like you to help um to to listen to our inner thoughts, our inner feelings, and and whatever. Um, so, how how do we get outside what's inside? Mm, that's a great question. I would say that um, in in many situations in society, in the education system, especially, uh, a lot of questions are framed in a way that there is a right answer and that there is a wrong answer. And we're trained to find the right answer and to tick the right box or to you know, answer the right year that this king was born or, 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 or died or whatever. But um, a more philosophically inquirative, in, inquisitive method, method is, is based more around curiosity, not like I want you to answer the right, uh, right thing, but rather a genuine interest, a genuine curiosity and listening and listening not to hear if it's the right or wrong answer, but listening, op have an open listening to ask open-ended questions like why. Any question that would start with one of the question words, why, what, how, where, when, those lead towards an opening. So it's more, it's more focused on the process of what happens when the question is asked than the answer itself. If it was possible, if it were possible to to give definitive answers to all the philosophical questions, then it would have already been done a long time ago. But that's not the point. The point is that what happens when we ask the questions, because that's fresh, that's crispy. And, and then we can dive into like, okay, this is actually happening here and now. We're asking questions and, and, and the questions change, or I mean, the answers change too. And that's one of the things, it's, it's not static, it's dynamic. And many things influence that including our emotional state, our physical state, what's going on in our, in our heads in, in, and in our lives, in our relations. So many things influence. If we really pay attention, then, then the questions will open up interesting things. And, and another thing, so curiosity is one thing and, and presence, but then also uh, to, to, to really follow I, I work a lot with my intuition so i trust that i trust the process and and it's not so much and and of, there, there can be doubts in this as well but it's it's a lot about trusting that that which wants to be said will be said and and after doing this for quite some time i'm i'm trusting that process intuition is is incredible the times I say that to people and my intuition has guided me into hot water, but also um, some amazing situations, including saving my life when there was no, no rhyme nor reason. 
Um, I had uh, breast cancer um, in 2009. Then again, in 2011, I just felt something was, was not right. No, no rhyme, no reason, no pain, no lumps, no nothing. And I said to my team, um, medical team at the time, um, can you just check things out? And there was a grade three tumour in the site of surgery that I'd previously had two years before. And my intuition, I always thank my, my intuition. So how, how would you describe intuition? To me, it's a kind of a, an inner knowing, knowing, mm. knowing something, but not necessarily being able to explain the thing. Mm. Your yeah. words, you on that? Mm, thank you. And thank you for sharing that experience that you had. Uh, and I think one of the things you mentioned here uh, is that the body has so much wisdom the body knows for example our heart it's beating all the time but but we rarely pay attention to it but it's there beating all the time and if if we really pay attention we can actually feel it and hear it and but even when we don't it's there the same with the breathing it's going on constantly night and day uh, from the moment we're born until the day moment we die and if we don't pay attention to it it still works but if we do fine-tune and start really listening to what's going on. We can feel so much sensations. And then another part is the emotional life. There are some, we are having emotions all the time. Uh, and there's something about this, um, you know, tendency to, to overuse the mind as the tool to answer everything. The mind is great for certain tasks, but, but it's, it's like a hammer. You don't want to use a hammer for every task at hand. Because for some tasks, it's just devastating to use the hammer. Um, and so, so, for example, uh, and, and so it's similar with the mind. If you, if you use the mind for the right things and then leave it when it's out of its domain, then you can start accessing things. But the mind doesn't really like that. The mind likes to think that, oh, I know everything. I can solve every problem. And the mind, so, so it, it's about disciplining and, and acknowledging that we are so much more. We do have a body. And the body has the wisdom. We do have emotions, and the emotions tell us something. The emotions aren't just random, erratic things happening as a byproduct. They 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 contain something, and so by paying attention to that, we start accessing far greater realms of knowledge. And intuition, the way I see it, it's it's kind of like knowing something without knowing how I know it, and then trusting it anyway. And um, and I think it's it's a it's a tool and the more we practice it and the more we trust it, the more we get access to it. And you can start nice and easy, like with small things. You know, it's, it can just be, you know, which, which road should I take today when I, when I walk to my, where I'm going or, or things like that. And, and to start paying attention, to start paying attention to, to um, what feels good. Do I want to cross the road here or here? What feels better? Oh well, my my gut tells me this is better. Okay, so that's 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 one one type of of di direct knowledge, gut instinct. Another is is to listen to the heart, which is much more in the emotional realm. And the intuition, I really, the way I use it mostly, is connected to vision. So it's like the higher mind, the way that the mind works. It has it has this amazing capacity to solve problems, but then it also has a higher um, circuit which is more about receiving knowledge. Um, and it's, it, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's there, the, the possibility is there, the potential is there. 
Uh, and then by fine tuning and practicing, it, it can have open up. And then the fourth area, which is also closely connected to this, is to pay attention to, to synchronicities. Like you suddenly run into someone you haven't seen for a while or, or things happen seemingly at random. And then, and then, and then it's like, like, wow, this was an interesting coincidence. Okay, pay attention. If coincidences are happening, that's, a, that's an invitation to pay attention. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing. Knowing without knowing why you know, it's, um, it happens all the time to me. I've, I've got lots of examples. Um, and I hear that with my clients as well. You just know something is wrong. You just know something is right and, and go, go with it. And the number of times that I hear people say, oh, if only I'd listened to my intuition, um, mm. X, Y, Z could have happened. But I'm also a great believer that everything happens for a reason. And, um, you know, we it's almost like we have this, you mentioned higher mind. So this, the, the, the guidance that, that we're given um, from our higher intelligence is, is absolutely amazing. Um, the emotional intelligence stuff, I think, is fascinating. I first came across this um, through the work of Daniel Goldman at Harvard University in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something that's intrigued me ever since. And with the work that I do with disbehavioral profiling, um, everything is all connected and if you know yourself and you know how you differ to other people that can help in huge amounts with communication piece never mind you know anything else relationships and so on <clears throat> so how did you get into this work Christopher because it wasn't wasn't an easy you didn't kind of just jump in did four degrees and off you go so you've done a lot of work yourself haven't you talk us through that yeah I have I have I, I, I grew up with a uh, with a very intellectual and creative father. And so I got a lot of stimulation in that, in those areas. Uh, whereas emotionally, it was, uh, there wasn't much, uh, much talk of emotions when I was young. It was just left to its own accord. And, and so for me, it was a quite long way to come to emotional uh, maturity, uh, which I'm, and I'm still, I'm still learning about emotions and it's, it's an ongoing thing. And for me, it i was actually depressed when i was 15 from 15 and onwards for for first for 5 years and then then again had another bout of that for about 15 years so that was a quite intense journey and i think a large part of of depression in my my case was that i didn't feel that there was any room for me and for my emotions especially it was just less and less room not talking about emotions and not acknowledging them and be and and then it's just like oh, what what's going on here so so i worked a lot through that in in many different ways um through therapy and different kinds of modalities for the last uh, four and a half years i've been dancing a lot which is really really helpful uh free form dancing um moving the body um, I'm really into something called fire rhythms, which is a which is a way to structure that. Um, I also work with dance myself. I facilitate dance and bring my clients in to 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 work with the body. Um, so it's uh, it's been a it's been a long journey and uh, and and I I I I think that emotional maturity. And emotional intelligence is is going to be even more important going forward. I mean, the the concept has been around for a while, but now I think we're at the point where it's not the question of if we bring that in. It's not a nice to have anymore. It's a need to have, and and the and people who who want to 
live fulfilling lives and successful lives and and really thrive uh, need to pay attention to their emotions and we need to talk about emotions and it's a connect it's communication and it's not only communication with each other it's also communication with ourselves and to have compassion with self compassion with others but first compassion with self and so what you said your example of with, with people saying that, oh, if only I had listened to my, my intuition, I think I think that's a very natural rea reaction. But in that situation, I would say it's really good to also have compassion with myself. Well, if I had the capacity, I would have, but for some reason, I wasn't there, and uh, there was fear. And a fear is such a prevalent feeling, emotion for so many of us. It's it's so it's everywhere, and 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 we we re very rarely talk about it. When I grew up, I, I was scared a lot, but we never talked about that. And in fact, it was the opposite. Like I was trained to you know, be brave, don't be scared and things like that, which doesn't really help because that just pushes the emotion down. So real, real, real courage, I think, is actually feeling the emotion fear and then, and then making an informed choice. Do I want to do this or don't I want to do this? And not to be controlled by the fear, uh, my strategy for a very long time was that whenever I was scared of something, I just do it. I just push myself through. And on a surface level, that seems like a very good strategy. It seems like I'm, I'm quite introvert, so I train myself to be extrovert because that's what society rewards. So I train myself to be courageous, but something is lost by doing that because in a, in a sense, our emotions are telling us something really important. And so by receiving the message, oh, there is fear here. Let's be compassionate with that and then make an informed choice. So, you know, not just to instinctively do it or don't do it just because you're scared, because either way that you tend to lose your way. I mean, maybe it's a little bit more that if you're scared of something, you might want to explore it. Maybe it's something that you want to do, but then again, maybe it's not. You know, if, if you're scared of, of falling off a very high bridge, then probably falling off the high bridge isn't the way to go. It's just, it's natural to be scared in certain situations. So, yeah. Interesting, the, the fear thing, because that comes up in my work with um, clients helping them to reverse serious illness and, and disease. Fear is the thing that the medical people put in. In fact, I've had a phone call this morning um, um, with the tech that we have now. It's amazing. We can speak to people in, all, in many countries. I'm, I'm in Portugal now, you're in Sweden. Um, mm. you know just that, that 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 demonstrates anyway but um yeah the fear that is put into us by people who themselves have only got one way of training so I often come across this um medical people say oh you've only got x amount to live and so on which is what happened to me in 2015 I, I was given less than a year to live with stage four cancer so now I've, I've you know my I have a duty to um it show people how to get through that how to deal with it and so on and um, so we all have a you know um, a reason a purpose and so on and I'm a great believer that things are presented to us in order that we can learn as individuals but then also that we can help other people as you know with with your situation as well going through the depressions and so on coming out the other end um, but the fear thing is a, is a really big one um, but also we need fear we need stress we need and all of this stuff, but in the right proportions. And I think it's when the proportions get out of whack and then we become overwhelmed and then we think there's no option and then we've got more fear all around us. We're not going in 
you know, the inner, the inner peace, the inner being, the being present, I think is so important. And forgiveness, as you alluded to, um, my clients who may be eating the right things, having the right lifestyle on paper, everything is perfect. But if they haven't dealt with their inner self, they haven't dealt with their emotions, they're not going to heal fully. And I've seen it again and again and again um, because of the fear, because of the emotions they hold in. It might be anger. Um, it, it, it could be grief. You know, it could be any kind of emotion. So I guess you must see this a lot with your clients. And um, I, I presume from what you're saying that you, you help them to, to talk through this scenario. Yeah, I, 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 yes and no. I mean, what, what I'm offering is uh, it's not really therapy. So if, if it's really like, uh, if it's really about addressing, um, let's say, depression or, or something else, then, then maybe it's, uh, it's more therapist you, you would go to for that. But, but what, I'm, what I'm offering is, is a way to, to include emotions and and to make it not so not so foreign to us and and exactly these three emotions that, that we mentioned here fear and anger and grief i mean those are three emotions which usually get the bad rep you know and we try to avoid them at all costs and some of them are even taboo in certain societies um, um but there is so much what what happens if we don't acknowledge them is that they stay if we don't acknowledge something it stays but if we do acknowledge it and feel it oh then things can really start to change and that requires courage that requires you know yeah quite a lot of courage to 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 be with that and i so so i'm 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 gently encouraging people to share about emotions um and in some cases, that can be a very big, a very big shift in itself. Just to talk about emotions for a, for a few moments might be just a completely new thing, but it's very much needed. Very, very healthy. Mm, absolutely, forgiveness. I think is a big thing you mentioned earlier on. That you know maybe um, actions that were taken. We, 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 we all take the actions we take at the time because we think that's the right thing to be doing, whether it's we feel it's the right thing or we think it's the right thing to do. And then sometimes we we may have regrets and look back. Oh, I wish this. I wish that. But again, forgiveness in those situations as well is really important, isn't it? Because otherwise these things niggle at you and they keep with you all the time. And then sometimes things seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger and mm. almost like. And mind is over dramatizing things would actually um life is simple isn't it if we just let it let it be um mm. you know that, that that famous song um i was going to ask you about music i see on the, on the wall behind you you've got a rather fancy guitar hanging up you've mentioned dance um influencing um your life but uh, do you do you actually play or or or, or um actively take part in any other type of music Mm, yeah, I do play a lot. I'm a musician, so I play um, piano and drums and guitar and bass and all kinds of different instruments. And I write a lot of music. And I've I've made over the years I've I've made a lot of music. Nowadays, I primarily play what I call intuitive music, which is improvised music based on what's present in the moment. Um, and sometimes I I play. For dance, so I facilitate dance 
while playing live instruments. Uh, and sometimes I play only only music to to inspire people to to go within and to go on uh, on inner journeys through the music. So it's it's very much uh, an explorative approach. And I also bring in music when I work with clients and 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 dance uh, in order to to come into contact with emotions emotion music and emotions are, are closely linked in fact i wrote my my philosophy thesis on music and emotions um so that's that's an area which i which i find very rewarding and it's also it has something of a universal appeal because dance and music it's the same everywhere i you know, i have this experience of going to to dance workshops and and dancing with someone for several days and then at the end you know not talking to people but just dancing together and then at the end we realize oh we're from different countries and we didn't even know where who we were or anything but we've been communicating so lot through the body and it's the same with music playing music together with others or just playing music with others it's it's a fantastic way to communicate and it's so direct it doesn't have this confusion of the mind which sometimes gets in the way and the mind is fantastic. You know, I, I love, you know, thinking and, and talking as well, but it's also really nice to have other, other ways to, to communicate and interact. Mm. The, the, the frequency music that we're hearing a lot of now has been used in healing, um, which I'm sure you know, and the, the 528 mm -hmm. frequency and the vibration that that gives us and so on. I mean, in days gone by, that's one of the reasons why people would go to church, wasn't it? Have a good old sing song. You've got the vibration of the music through the organ, the acoustics with the domes and et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's a feel good thing. Music can help you feel good, but also it can it can have the opposite effect if it's if it's music that doesn't kind of sing to your soul. So you can uplift or or come down um, in any which way with music, can't you? It's, it's fascinating. Mm, yeah we we tend to use music uh, or in in like uh, a lot of situations for when we, when people get married or when there is a funeral or when we have a party or it's it's like when we want to high heighten something and i was just thinking that the other way week i was at uh, my my daughter was finishing school so it was the end of year ceremony and and then uh, of course there was music it was primarily it was just music every every grade were singing a song or a few songs uh, and then I was thinking that well it's interesting because in school uh, the tendency is to to prioritize the theoretical subjects but when it comes to the end of the year what they showcase it's not theoretical subjects at all it's the music mm -hmm. so um, music is very important to us as humans and it's so clear I mean uh, people are listening to music all the time so um, yeah, there is a lot. There is a lot in that. And what I'm what I'm doing is to to bring that into um, the the other work as well. So it's it's a holistic approach, where where we don't just go for the mind, but but to use the mind, but also use the emotions. And music is a wonderful way to access that. Mm, absolutely. My last husband is a bass player, um, mm -hmm. six string fretless bass player. All right. Absolutely amazing, um, and he's he's now now studied to be a teacher in that. So his gifts will be going throughout the world. So cool. uh, yeah, I take my hat off to any any live music. I think it's fabulous. So Christopher, um, how do people get a hold of you? Well, I have uh, I have a website, SiriusSounds.com. That's S-I-R-I-U-S, then S-O-U-N-D-S dot com. So it's serious like the star. 
uh, and then sounds. Um, and I'm also on uh, LinkedIn uh, with my with my full name, Christopher Sigmund Sigmund with an O. Um, and I'm happy to engage. And um, I have a, also on um, yeah Facebook page and Twitter. But I primarily uh, um, it's it's easiest to find me on my website or on LinkedIn. I would say. Fabulous. It's been wonderful speaking with you this morning, Christopher. Thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to um, hearing more stories and um, seeing you on the networking circuit as we've uh, bumped into each other many times before. Yeah, thank you so much, Elaine, for having me. It was wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Thank you.